Hello and welcome back to Everyday People. My name is Vaibhav Gupta. You're listening to episode 111 and we'll get to our guest in a second. But first, uh, I want to say something. So this past weekend, I received my first two paid subscriptions to my blog and podcast. Uh, I have moved everything to Substack and two people have decided that it's worth paying money for. So I got a supercharge of energy and motivation to keep doing and there's more stuff coming including hopefully more podcasts soon uh, as as well as a lot of new everyday people episodes. So thank you so much and if you'd like to check out everything that I offer on my Substack it's webofguptahoo.substack.com. Hopefully I'll be able to change the uh, URL to something nicer soon. Today's guest is Urvi Khetan. Uh, she's a PhD student studying at Oxford. Uh, she came uh, by recommendation of uh, Surya Shekhar Chakraborty a friend of mine who was episode 88 i believe uh, as, as a blog so uh, he was really excited about me sitting down with her and it was fun to sit down with her uh, she's a young phd student who's very self aware very articulate very clear ideas about what should and shouldn't be uh, the motivation behind your actions and why she studies and how she recognizes the privilege that she's able to go to oxford and and the fact that she plans to come back to india later and then commit herself to helping other people so it was a fascinating really fun conversation and i hope you enjoy it too thank you so much for listening here is episode 111 Urvi Khetan. Cool. So I'll record an intro later, but uh, to start off with, um, for the listener and for me, who are you? What do you do? And what is your current side project? Hi, my name is Urvi Khetan, and I am currently a final year PhD student in history at the University of Oxford. So I like to say I'm nearly a historian, but not quite there yet. Um, I have many side projects. I do many things. Um, in fact, uh, just. before we started recording this podcast uh webhav and i were having a conversation about being in control of one side projects and i feel like i never am so um i do many things on the side including i enjoy volunteering for an ngo i work part time at a think tank i try and keep my world spinning among other things so yeah that's one of a laundry list of many random things i do okay So let's talk a little bit more in depth about that. You said you're volunteering with an organization, and then you're participating in a think tank. Um, do you find that your work outside of work, outside of your PhD work, is largely intellectual, or is it more active? Um, why did you choose these aspects? Uh, you can talk about the uh, organization you're working with in detail if you want. You can name them, give them a little free promo. Um, but i just want to understand why you're doing these things and what is it uh, that's drawing you to it so let's talk about your volunteering first and then we'll get on to the other stuff um yeah so i'm i guess the answer to that comes back to also why i do what i do kind of as an intellectual challenge which is what really my whole professional life so to speak is about and i think i've always because literally i have been in an educational institution from start to finish uh with ne- with i've never taken a gap to work full time uh is that once i started my masters which was now 5 years ago i realized that i needed to be feeling useful in some way or the other right and uh this is because i think any kind of educational pursuit like especially the doctorate that i'm doing is such a personal and individualized journey mm-hmm. that then there's really no space to actually be 
interacting with the wider world and really thinking about problems that aren't your own. And it's very easy to get so self-absorbed and become so obsessed with your own life and like the very limited boundaries of that. So literally every stage since my master's has been an effort for me to try and open up my boundaries as much as possible. So I'm still doing these and pursuing these intellectual challenges in the form of institutionalized education. But really, I think what I'm trying to find a way to do it, which is why I just try and do everything I can on the side, whatever I have the time for, is so that I don't feel like my world is narrow and limited. So that's one of the things that really saw, uh, made me seek out any kind of voluntary work. And you know, this goes back a long way to even when I, I was in school. Now I'm very conscious about my privilege. And I'm going to preface this whole thing by saying that I'm, like, I've grown up in the tiniest bubble in the world. Um, I've, you know, I've grown up speaking in a, I, from a family that is half Bengali, half Marwari. So we've communicated in English for the most part. Mm-hmm. I've been to private school. I've been to, uh, I was very lucky to go to a very good liberal arts college in India because I, I went to St. Stephen's in Delhi. And then I went to Oxford. So I've gone from elite institution to elite institution. And so there's this deep frustration that has arisen as a result of it. And I, I think the irony of all of this is also not lost in me that I'm still sitting in the comfort of my own home on, on, on Zoom on my laptop with you having this conversation and saying, oh, you know, I want to like explore the world. So I, I know this is completely, it's so, I'm, I'm the kind of person that would judge myself for saying half of these things. So, um, yeah, so I think it just started from there. And so I, in fact, for free promo, the NGO is called RISE. It's Rural India School Enterprise. And it is based in a remote part of West Bengal. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of these communities have access to government schooling, but government schooling is substandard. Mm-hmm. So it's very important to provide supplementary education to students who are anyway part of this schooling network. Right. And so this is an NGO that provides that supplementary education, as well as like pastoral support, you know, helping them do creative activities, which you don't always have the resources and facilities to in a government school. Mm-hmm. So these are kids who are say, in what we call in India middle school, uh, going through to high school, uh, so up until they finish school. And uh, really during the pandemic, while I've been in England, I've sort of been working remotely, of course. Mm-hmm. And it's always felt like a paradox again between my own circumstances where I'm comfortably sitting at home and doing Canva posts, asking for money, when there is a literal lack of supplies of rations on the ground and food is not getting villages so um yeah i would just summarize my life by saying it is a series of paradoxes and uh and i i think you can tell that like frustration and tension between what i'm doing but what i want to be doing really comes out in what i choose to do so i find it i do find it interesting the uh a fair amount of uh self-awareness especially about privilege so I've talked to a lot of PhD candidates before and generally I do ask them about their area of research as the third question. Uh, But instead for you, because of the way you've answered this one, I actually do want to talk about, uh, you mentioned like feeling useful and then Mm -hmm. recognizing your privilege versus like what other people are in desperate need of. First of all, do you feel like people who stay in academia in general, there is a vibe of not connecting with the quote unquote real world um in the sense of you know solving problems for people on a regular basis or or in, in a continuous manner versus solving a big problem which is your 
thesis that you're working on or trying to create new information do you feel like there is a gap between mm-hmm. academics and real world and mm-hmm. do you feel like there's the system is antiquated and could use a lot more updating or do you feel like the system works so as somebody who's only got a bachelor's degree i am like super disconnected from academia it wasn't for me after I, after even though i did well like i after i finished my bachelor's degree i got into corporate and i realized okay i'm making a lot more difference than i was in college i just wanted to get your thoughts around that and the general like um body of um students and uh, knowledge creators uh yeah i think that's a really good question and really good framing so and there is a lot to say and i think in some sense some of my responses would probably be considered controversial by people in the academy um but uh, i don't care so here goes so i think that there is something deeply flawed about academia as it is now i everybody says that that's nothing new uh but i also think it's very context specific so i think over the last maybe decade or so we've seen an increased flight of students really like bright brilliant promising students away from the subcontinent and moving towards uh funded phd's in in europe and the states less on so the uk because phd's aren't funded and you have to really fight to get it, get funding and you know that's one of the things that uh i had to do to stay on and it's then become this very natural uh pro- see this progression to then stay there mm-hmm. and never come back and then work on all of these issues that are pressing to india and south asia as a whole but in these ivory towers i myself have been doing exactly that for the last 5 years i'm not going to beat about the bush i've been working on um the history of women's work in india and i've been doing that at oxford i've been going to ar- archives in in the us in the uk and in india um but i've been pursuing what is actually a very serious question what is a very depressing uh research topic in many ways what is really sort of traumatic for me as a researcher but i can't even begin to imagine what it was like for the people who actually lived through the histories that i'm researching right so i'm also again doing that in a foreign institution um on foreign funding and i think because it's sort of south asia and south asian problems become the source of one's bread and butter in these privileged context and i think that lack profound lack of self awareness there is and self reflexivity is deeply disturbing to me so um and i i repeatedly come across conversations being like why oh, can't imagine going back to india anymore and i find that just so so upsetting for me because like i throughout my whole masters abroad and phd journey i have probably spent as much time in india as i've spent spent in england uh part of maybe less so because of the pandemic and i couldn't travel but otherwise for me also the way i see myself and my career spanning out is i plan to come back to india when i'm done with my phd which is next year and uh, i you know i can't imagine living anywhere else in the world because i can't imagine caring about any other part of the world as much as i do specifically about my about this place so um i think yeah so academia in that it's becoming well there's that kind of disconnect but also increasingly corporatized um and then so it becomes more as a way of having an aspirational escape strategy from mm-hmm. a life that you have here uh which is again like i feel personally like i would be an escapist running away from my problems i don't however again like i have to i have to say this that i am cognizant of the fact that it is because of my privilege that i can make the decision of coming back of course yeah um you know and that is not an option that is open to a lot of people so i have to say that and i i don't judge 
um, people from making the decision they do for their lives that is theirs. Um, but it's just like, it's one of those things that really upsets me about uh, academia. But in terms of like that disconnect also between, and on a larger level between the academy and practical daily life. And so, you know, you're spending all of this time, all of this money, all of this energy into trying to answer questions that are important. You know, these are all contributions to knowledge in some way or the other. It's original research, it's good work. But at the same time, I think it's not incompatible to have those translate into life, into practical decision making by authorities, by interest groups, by communities, by friends and family. Like, I think these are all things that can translate. Uh, there's no point in the academy being high and mighty and saying, hey, we're, in, we're invested only in nuance and only in um, the pursuit of higher knowledge. I think it's extremely important that there is that public side to it. I think there are some moves towards it. Uh, I mean, at least it's, it's a big thing sort of in um, the humanities right now where, where I'm at and the social sciences, but really not enough. And it's really not enough to keep fetishizing uh, social issues and creating big funded projects out of it and um, publishing books that nobody reads uh, just because it's a quote-unquote sexy topic <laughs> so yeah I, I mean I, I think there's like a fundamental issue here but I don't think that these are incompatible at all like I think there's so much potential and and that's what I'm excited about that's what I'm excited to get into that space of once I finish my PhD and I'm out of that kind of institutionalized higher education sphere yeah I think um I, I feel like just the time frame becomes longer for when it becomes quote unquote useful. I think it was um, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I was watching an interview of him and he, he explained um, where, um, you know, cosmological study, the thing that he specializes in, how it becomes useful over time. And he gave us the workflow of essentially, you know, you're, you're researching things for the army or for the exploration of space. And in that you develop certain technologies that find uh, or are adapted into other uses that eventually uh, flow down into everyday life by other inventors, other researchers, and so on and so forth. Like it's a very, when you contribute something new to the uh, body of knowledge, the, the global body of knowledge, somebody else will pick that up somewhere if it's useful and they'll create something out of it, yeah. right? So it, yeah, like I would say that even your research, whether it's, uh, you said you're in the social sciences, that might uh, translate maybe 10, 15, 20 years down the line rather than two, three, four. And so I agree with, I understand what you mean when you say that uh, ultimately it is all connected. It's just all super messy, but what isn't messy? So in that regard, I would say, like my next question to you would be, if you could lay out three expectations you had about academia versus uh, the three um, realities of it, Right. So for uh, this is targeted towards somebody who's thinking about pursuing academia, somebody younger or somebody even older who's wanting to get back into it. Um, What have been three realizations that have been different from what you were expecting? One thing that I'll start off with, uh, and especially because you said for somebody who's maybe later in life and thinking of coming back to it. um, So there's this. there's this tower in Oxford, which is, uh, it's associated with uh, a college called Harris Manchester. Mm -hmm. And on one side of the tower, when you pass by, it says, it's later than you think. And then you walk a little further and you look back up and on the other side of the tower, it says, but it's never too late. And it's, uh, it's really one of those things that symbolizes that, you know, you can always return to education 
uh, to the pursuit of like intellectual inquiry whenever you want to. You know, it is never, never too late. And I, I think through one of the things that I felt is that, you know, I'm on the younger side in my PhD cohort. It's mostly people who have maybe come back to it later in life, have worked for a bit and then wanted to come back, be in academia for a bit or have a question that they came up with while they were working and realized that academia was one way to answer it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I do feel that I think because I guess growing up in an Indian education system where it is, okay, if you want to do a PhD, you sort of do it right after a master's or you don't really end up doing it or you take decades to do it. I think going to this university and realizing that there were people from all across different age groups, there are even like people over 70 who are starting up now. Um, that just made me realize that, you know, you can do things for many different reasons. Mm. Um, and this project, I mean, a PhD Yes, it is. It is a career move. And I think it's important that we conceptualize it as a professional thing and not just purely um, a degree that you do. You know, it is your livelihood. It is what's supporting you. Yeah. Uh, but, it, you know, you can also do it at any stage in your life. And it's um, sometimes you you just want to do it for the pure joy of sitting with something for a long time. Um, secondly, the thing that I will say is I well, I, I mean, I knew it was going to be an interesting journey. I was not quite prepared for how life-changing it's been. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have had the best time. I know everybody keeps complaining about academia and where it's going and how there are no jobs and how it's uh, so difficult uh, a lot of the times to be able to deal with admin. And yeah, it is. It's All of that is there. But I have just honestly enjoyed this whole process so mm-hmm. much. I would, if anybody wants to do it, I, I guess like maybe I, I've always said like if you are really passionate about something, if you're really interested in figuring out how something ticks, figuring out how something works, and you you think you have the chance in your life to take you know say three to five to six years out of your life to think about it, just go for it because the amount of freedom I've had to just sit and like think about something is amazing. I I don't think I'm ever going to get this again in my life. But again, like more than freedom. And of course, like the security and stability was provided by the funding that I had, which again, you know, like not a lot of people always have that kind of stability. So I have to acknowledge my privilege there. Um, but uh, I will say that it, the third and coming to the third expectation, which was that, you know, I thought of it as a contribution to knowledge of some sort. You know, it's independent inquiry. It's going to be rigorous. I'm going to be doing my research. I'm going to be collecting data. And then I'm going to have this finished project. Uh, you know, I, in other words, I am the maker of this thesis. Mm. But what surprised me was that really it was, it's my thesis that is making me, like I have discovered so much about the world, but also about a way of seeing the world through my work and through the methods that I've ended up using and through the people that I'm reading about. I think my thesis has made me in so many ways so different from what I was before. I've found my politics, my kind of like my own brand of seeing the world through it. Right. And that has been absolutely incredible. And for that alone, I would just say, if you at all, if anybody wants to do a PhD and you're unsure about it, it's worth doing it for that alone. If you can take care of all of the rest of it, which is complicated. If you <laughs> have the privileges that yeah. allow you to do it. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Um, my last question in this formal interview 
uh, where would you like to send the audience listening to this? Um, in other words, would you like to advertise something? Um, any, um, if you'd like to uh, um, share the organizations you're working with and where people can go and check it out or donate or buy something, this is the opportunity. Okay, uh, a plug. So uh, yeah, first, uh, please check out at Rise Projects on Twitter or at Rise Charity on Instagram. And uh, you can also Google Rural School, Rural India School Enterprise or Rise for mm -hmm. some more details. And uh, the other thing that I would be really grateful for is because I'm also trying to get some of the stories that I found throughout my doctorate um, accessible and make them things that people know is that I have a YouTube, a video out on YouTube uh, quite recently, which is with the Indian Women and in War Project, mm -hmm. which is a U UK heritage lottery funded project that is trying to tell South Asian history uh, through communities and through school children and through people who aren't ordinarily considered historians, but who really are uh, and have, uh, who are interested in history to come together and, and tell the world these stories. So um, this is a video that maybe I can pass on the link and it. Yeah, I can put that link in the description of yeah. this episode. So uh, if you're listening to this episode, you've made it to this far, you want to check out the video that she's talking about, check the description and please check out that video. So um, that's the formal interview concluded. Let's take a deep breath. How do you feel? Yeah, not bad. I don't know. Does this like, was this interesting or was it boring? <laughs> um, it's it's a little difficult to follow, I will say, for the okay. average listener. Yeah, uh, that's but that's fine. Know. You know, like that's the joy of listening to a new person being interviewed every week. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you get highly intellectual people. Sometimes you get very uh, straightforward and uh, mm -hmm. people who are able to explain things simply. So it's, it's yeah, fun. Yeah. And for me also, it's kind of like fun to adapt to the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, so I found it interesting. I was listening to you the entire time, even though one of my cats is now sitting here. She's been begging <laughs> for attention all this time. So I've just been scratching yeah. her head quietly and just trying to follow, make some notes about things to talk to you about. Mm -hmm. uh, but how was that experience for you? Yeah, no, I mean, so I feel like... Um, one of the things that I've had over the last three years possibly of like actually doing this PhD and other things is that I've had the opportunity to speak to a lot of different people from who do different things. And uh, I guess it's also been part of this concerted effort of trying to like escape the shackles that I spoke a lot about. Um, and no, I, I think what you said about everybody having like a different kind of like wavelength and dynamic uh, and way of approaching something is yeah, it's there. And and so sometimes I, like, I always wonder how much of what I do even, like, sometimes translates. Because I, like, I, I and, you know, I, a lot of my friends from school are doing completely different things to me. In fact, like, none of us are doing the same thing. And it's always amazing to then sit and just have these conversations, but approach things from completely different perspectives. And you can always tell that somebody has different vested interests in things. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I thought this was uh, really interesting, but also makes me aware that I maybe need to pitch things differently sometimes if some of what I said was like difficult to follow. Have you been interviewed before or is this your first one? So I've done a few at this point. Uh, I mean, I've done like one other kind of freeform conversation podcast, um, but then a lot of the others have sort of been more subject specific, I would say. So sort of more like me talking about my work 
okay. and being uber profesh in that sense. Uber profesh. <laughs> um, good, yeah. Like I, I guess this is more free form. I, I really have no idea. I haven't given time to think about what it is I'm trying to accomplish with this. Like the 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 excuse that I keep coming up with changes every few months. So right now my focus is very much just do it. Just talk to people and it'll figure out like its own cadence yeah. over time. No, I mean, I think that's also the point of, well, everyday people or ordinary people is that everybody has their own thing that makes them tick. So yeah, and we just need to try and find it because everything... Like I, I, one of my like basic principles that I try to live by is that everybody has something worth respecting is just trying to get them to express it really. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting experiment, but uh, do you have any questions for me now at this point? Um, yeah, I guess, wait, let me try and frame this. So in, in the course of your podcast and your blog series, you've spoken to a lot of people uh, I was intrigued by, well, A, the name of your podcast, which is Thara and Unkempt. Uh, and then I was also interested in your characterization of everyday people, uh, because this is also something that I've thought about quite a bit myself in terms of my work as nearly a historian is about ordinary people. Mm-hmm. But I, can't, I hesitate to call them ordinary because, I mean, these are everyday people on this, you know, there is nothing special. These aren't big personalities. These aren't Nehru's and Gandhi's or anything. They're right. everyday people. But yeah, so I so I guess I was interested in, yeah, why everyday and why Thara and Ankamit? Okay. Um, well, first of all, I think the word brand has become an ugly word um, just because of it carries the connotation of all the dubious marketing practices that go behind building a brand. Uh, but at the very basic idea of what a brand is it's to just a a, a singular idea represented by a singular name repeated across different products and media that's the idea of a brand right so right from the beginning because my I have a cousin who's into branding she's a designer I thought okay you know being consistent with the idea over time is important so these names were decided early on and then over time, the ideas, the the interpretation of that idea for myself has changed. But um, my focus was always, okay, how do I keep this consistent? Now, as so how I got these names, uh, so Tharun and Kempt, I think um, it was immediately after class 12, which was in 2011, I, um, I wanted to start a blog. And that was my first journey and I started writing a couple of blog posts at that time and I didn't have a name for myself I think it was something like grammar mantis or something (laughs) stupid name uh over time it changed to sophomoric prose which again was very juvenile and I didn't really feel anything by those names and I think it's around 2014 or something I asked my sister hey you know describe me and she gave me like a few adjectives she gave me like five or six adjectives and the first two were thorough and unkempt and like Tarun and Kemp, that sounds really nice. That that sounds like who I am. What does that mean? Okay, I'm very organized or systematic or le- left brain in the way I approach things, but I have the spirit of a creator. I am a professional writer. There's a deep appreciation for the right brain aspects of it. So I thought the juxtaposition of Tarun and Kemp, you know, organized and disorganized is a yeah. great representation of who I am. And I've just kept that since. Um, as for everyday people, so in 2016, at the start of 2016, I started about 
uh, I started five different blog post series, blog series. So Monday to Friday, I was posting five times a week. And I needed things that were easy to write to maintain that sort of consistency. So one of the things I started was Talkback Tuesday. Every Tuesday, I would, again, interview a friend on WhatsApp or something, copy it, edit it, done, easy. Um, did that for three months. Uh, burnt out, stopped all the five series that I was doing. 2017, brought back just Talkback Tuesday. And it started to gain a very, very small following of people who were enjoying listening to it or reading it. And I just kept that name, Talkback Tuesday, for I think about 60, 70 episodes. 74 episodes, maybe. What? <laughs> and then I uh, took a break again from the series. And when I brought it back, I think episode 75 or 78 onwards. I'm like, okay, you know, what is this about? This is about normal people. I think the word ordinary had crossed my mind. But again, ordinary carries a negative context. Yeah. Right. Mm. So uh, connotation, sorry. So I like, okay, everyday, everyday mm. people. That's a more like neutral or even a positive connotation. Yeah. And I tried it. And at first it felt like really janky to me. It felt like, oh, you know, it feels like such a ripoff of humans of New York and those sort of things. Though I had started around the same time they started. Obviously, they're a lot more successful in the way they've done things. Um, but I'm like, okay, you know, I want to be different from them. But I want to like keep trying what I'm trying. And it's okay, cool. So everyday people, I'll just try it. And I did that for a few episodes and it stopped feeling janky. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm just going to run with it. Even now, I'm not super happy with the name. I think it's very direct. Right? It doesn't hint at a bigger idea. Uh, it does not capture that, that essence of, I want to understand the ambition of people. Right? It's, not, it's actually not everyday people. It's everyday ambitious people, honestly. Uh, but I've kept the name because I want to be consistent with it. And I've just allowed my internal understanding of it to update over time so that's, yeah yeah no that's that's super interesting and i i do, like i think there's there's something really solid about having an unpretentious name also um and no but i'm really intrigued by what you said about ambition uh and then also contrasting what you said earlier about something being juvenile so do you think there's place to be juvenile and be ambitious because i i think i'm quite juvenile and ambitious 100 percent, 100 percent. there is space to be juvenile even being ambitious uh, I'm, I, I find myself pretty juvenile. I like, I enjoy being like, so juvenile again carries that negative connotation of this person hasn't grown up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But we've seen like grown ups are not really a particularly great role model to follow. There are very, <laughs> there are some very evil grown ups in this world. Many, many. Like, evil. But there are very few evil children, very few, if any. And so I, I, despite mental health issues and everything like i have a huge history with mental health and i talk about it very uh, openly on like my podcast and other stuff but despite that i i try and keep a playful attitude um especially like with my closest friends like i'm super super juvenile uh and so you can be like i find that our personalities are in general a lot more malleable than we think they are mm -hmm. in the sense of you know that whole adage of fake it until you make it. Some people say it doesn't work. I think it works in the sense of you change how you feel about something over time if you repeat it enough. You can change it. So like I've questioned, you know, why I do certain things or why I behave silly sometimes. But I keep telling myself, no, I like being like this and I think it brings a smile to people's face. 
And over time, I start noticing, oh, okay, it does bring a smile to people's face. So the lie I was telling myself has become a, has become an honest truth, mm-hmm. right? So like the way we feel about things can change, and so you you can maintain a juvenile aspect and still have that ambition. I I find myself driven to keep trying things, to keep finding new things to do, right? So I'm, I feel like I'm balancing both of those. Now, what level of success you find is up to a whole uh, list of other factors, including one of the biggest luck. A lot of creators and a lot of celebrities will tell you, hey, it's luck. It's literally just luck. We keep trying and eventually we get lucky, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can definitely have both in your life, I feel. Yeah. I mean, I think it's luck and hard work, obviously. Like yeah. it takes a lot of crossing mental barriers to also bring oneself to a place where you can bring yourself to try and try again as well. Yeah. So I think like, because opportunities like- are everywhere, right? You just have to be ready, be in a position to take advantage of it. So that's where the hard work comes. Sorry, mm-hmm. that's where the hard work comes and we keep trying. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's oh, why exactly. I like keep creating something, whether it's a show or whether it's a, you know, you're writing a thesis or you're writing papers or whatever it is, yeah. or you're, you're running a business, whatever it is, you have to keep trying in order to learn enough to recognize when an opportunity comes along and take advantage of it. Yeah. I mean, no, this is just making me think I was uh, cleaning out my room because I've, so I've come back to Calcutta for the summer vacation. And so I was cleaning out my room and I found all of my old report cards from KG 1, 2, 1, 3. And, uh, and all of them say the same thing, which is that, you know, fine in academics, but is not talking to anybody. And it doesn't interact with her peers at all. And then, and I realized, and I, I mean, not realized, I remembered that I was an extremely shy child. So I would never speak at all. Right. And it was really hard to get even a word out of me. And um, <clears throat> and it was a long concerted, I think, journey that took effort on everybody's part. You know, it was sort of like a village raising a child. And, you know, now I've got to the point where it is really hard to even get me to shut up. Um, but, you know, I was just, because it was thrown into such sharp relief, that contrast between somebody mm-hmm. who doesn't interact at all to say right now, I've never met you before. We're having this conversation uh, online is... Um, yeah, I think you can always kind of recalibrate your life if with luck, with hard work, but something happens. It might not always be the best outcome, <laughs> but you know, it's fun. Yeah, it, it might not be the best, but it'll be better than nothing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? I think that's, that's the main thing because I've, I've done enough nothing in my life. Like I've, uh, especially in that like 2015 to 2017 period was when I was first uh, starting taking medicine for my depression and everything. I have chronic, unfortunately, um, learning to deal with it and, you know, becoming antisocial for a while. And just, I've, I've experienced what nothing feels like. And I'm like, okay, you know, I don't, I, I don't really want to do nothing. So do what you can learn and become better over time. Keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. Yeah. Keep trying. Cause that, yeah, that idea of nothingness really like scares me also. I think the fear of mediocrity at yeah. some level is really, really, I think, <laughs> I think that's where like you know a lot of people I, I actually thought about you know there's a very common like casual parlance the way some people speak like they say oh I'm the worst you know mm-hmm. like especially like uh, when, when they failed at something or in a social context when they start thinking of my friends hate me right I find it interesting that so many people think this way and I thought why do why does somebody think this way And the theory I came up with is, oh, because an extreme emotion is better than a lack of emotion, right? It um, being hated 
or being the worst is better than being indifferent or being yeah. uh, mediocre. No, that's that's absolutely true. I think, yeah, you're right. I so I think we all, and especially in high school, when we're young, when we're children, when we're with people who express things juvenilely and are not very uh, interested in um, in sort of being fake fake nice. Um, I think we're often our most direct when we're kids uh, because there, are, there aren't so many filters that we filter our emotions and our expressions through. And we sometimes say horrible things to other people. We don't even realize it, but we also are very horrible and mean to ourselves. ourselves yeah. Well enough. And uh, so we're, I mean, I was just thinking again, looking at those report cards, I was like, my God, I was such an insecure person. I was constantly trying to hide or trying to conform. Um, you know, you'd, you'd rather be wearing what everybody else is wearing than wearing something different and having everybody attack you because that is what matters when you have a school picnic. <laughs> Nothing yeah. else matters. You're looking for that sense of community yeah. by any means necessary. By the way, how yeah. old are you? So I am 25, but I'm going to be 26 on Saturday. So and Happy birthday. Again, like, <laughs> almost. But um, that also reminds me, I hate growing older. Um, so the idea I... of like, well, I think because I don't know. Well, you said, right, grown-ups have negative connotations. And for the longest time, I've been used to being the young one. Like I'm the youngest in my family, or the youngest, um, one of the youngest in my PhD program. So suddenly to be actually like legit old, which is what I think 26 is, <laughs> seems a bit scary. Bullshit. 26 <laughs> is not legit. I turned 30 this year. Okay. Well, congratulations. Yeah. 30 is, but at least 30-something. Like 26 is neither here nor there. No, it's 20, 26 is the start of your late 20s, the second half of your 20s. I'll tell you why that's important. Like, okay, here's some sage advice from somebody who's older than you. Um, <laughs> I love growing older. I, I, I was looking forward to turning 30 for a long time because why do people say they, oh, I wish I was young again and in school again and all that, right? People say that because they fear responsibility. People are tired, right? And they're like, okay, it was easier and much lower responsibility when we were children or when we were in school and they want to run back to that and I'm like no because as a as a toddler my life was great as a teenager my life sucked I was so like you mentioned right insecure but also like I was experiencing I was experiencing a lot of social upheaval and I, I didn't know why I come from a fairly very conservative family and I didn't understand the toxicity of that and it was horrible and then in my 20s is when I came to college, I came to Bangalore away from Calcutta. So, um, and I experienced that freedom for the first time. And immediately, you know, my grades improved. I graduated top of my class and then uh, mm-hmm. graduated with the highest salary, campus placement, blah, 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 blah. And Fancy. I was like that agency, that that new agency, right? Like just learning that I have control over myself and then being able to recognize and then unlearn negative patterns that I've had the way I speak to people the way I treat people the way I think about people it's Mm -hmm. been the best like the 20s have been the best time of my life because Mm -hmm. of that agency and uh, I consider 2015 to be my worst year I was 23 then Um, I actually have like zero memory of 2015 like what happened there one or two incidents come but otherwise I have no memory whatsoever and so 2016 is like 2016 New Year's Day is when I started taking control of it all. That's why like, you know, everyday people and other projects that I started do hold a dear place in my heart because they are what I started when I was 
breaking through at all so i find that you know the the first 5 years of your 20s are like you're learning you're unlearning a lot of other things and you're sort of understanding what it means to be an adult your later 20s are when slowly if you're if you're lucky slowly all the stability starts coming in like not just mm-hmm. financially financially is a big deal uh, mm-hmm. because it informs other things of your life but then also you start like calming down you start slowing down a little you start hitting biological metabolic walls right which make you tired and you slow down and you learn to be a lot more patient in general you learn to be nicer to people hopefully and i've loved that entire process and so i'm like really looking forward to my 30s because the 30s are supposed to be an even more stable time and an even more like where people like grow out and become something spectacular something shining so in that way i'm just looking forward to going older i mean i lo- so the word that you used agency i love that word it's also sort of what i do professionally in right. the, on the side of things is that how how to read agency in the past of like yeah. everyday people but i mean i think i guess one of the reasons i'm nervous now is that say for the last 5 years i've been doing something you know it's i had uh i've been financially self sufficient because of my funding and everything and now i'm facing this point where i'm hopefully next year fingers crossed everything crossed going to be finishing this and then that's going to be my big up people because i'm going to leave the sheltered ivory tower yeah, yeah. and i'm going to be in the real world looking for a job um moving back uh home to india which is that i'm really excited about but then it comes with a lot of other things about everybody asking me but beta why did you come back and uh so yeah. how much like do you can you do a job after a history phd are there even any opportunities right. <laughs> then, yeah. yeah and i mean i know the answers that question you know answers to those sorts of questions but it's that constant need to explain um to justify decisions to everybody else because as you know in india everybody's business is your business your business yep. is everybody's business yep. uh and your neighbor's business also so it's just i think because of that maybe i'm nervous about the idea of turning 26 because of what it also heralds in that sense for me but no i think yeah growing older my life has only has only gotten better like all of that that exploration that real like freeing up to be fully myself has happened in my early 20s it didn't happen when i was in school i think i was too caught up in in like pulling myself down and and also i think when you pull yourself down you're pulling others down around you but i think early 20s so much of that like positive energy and spirit has been so important to me and that's what i'd like to also take to other people as well you know i like to be the first person to make that really awkward joke in the room that makes people laugh and being like what, what the hell is she doing here but then still I'll do it anyway because it lightens the tension yeah i think that's yeah. key right like if you find that you're the sort of person looking to make somebody else feel better i think you'll be okay yeah. because a lot of people a lot of people do become more conservative unfortunately as they grow older mm-hmm. and they become a lot more exclusionary and other things like that and unfortunately you know that's who they are but um more and more i find that there there is that that community of people who wants to just make somebody else smile and make somebody else feel better and the fact that there are more people like this coming into their 20s and 30s now even though like it can be really bleak sometimes looking at how the world is you find these moments of hope and stuff may hopefully the the world lasts beyond 7 8 years and until like severe <laughs> 
you know severe flooding starts in 2030 and calcutta goes underwater and other things like that yeah. um but hopefully we can adjust before that otherwise it's been a good run and at least we died with our honor intact yeah well that's like a sad note to like end things on so yeah so let's say let's say something nice yeah um well okay i i would just say that i think we should stop being afraid of embarrassing ourselves and stop limiting ourselves because we're afraid that people will say what we're doing is cringeworthy because it might be but I, I I find that running towards cringe is important because you need to like just build that muscle for example i have colored hair i've had colored hair for four years five years now at this point um and i color it myself and all of that oh wow and people ask about it of course like people ask about it like a hundred hundreds of people have asked about it and there was a period of time where it was bothering me and now it doesn't bother me anymore and my answers have also gotten more terse like when people when people get up in your business in india right like why do you do the things I'm like because i want to and yeah, that's yeah. literally all the explanation you need <laughs> and and you can you can you can find polite ways to do that and you can maintain a sense of calm in front of somebody who's upset by it for no reason like my there are uncles who've told me doesn't it affect your brain what's below your hair your brain they forget that there's a skull there they're like you know the, the dye seeps into your brain i'm mm. like okay cool yep i'll be careful thanks none that's the end of it right um yeah i think running towards cringe and becoming used to it can be yeah. like something that's super super stabilizing like super anchoring for you super empowering also empowering, yeah. like you, you don't owe people explanations draw boundaries yeah it's your life live it the way you want to it's your life live it the way you want to that's a good that's a good note and no, we'll... that's a really cliche instagram quote <laughs> but would, would would you expect anything else from everyday people <laughs> fair <laughs> urvi khetan thank you so much for sitting down with me And thank you, Vaibhav Gupta.